my heart is pretty overwhelmed because I, I, I've been here and uh, even though I haven't been able to be here, I still have been behind the scenes being here and watching and praying and there's been major, major transition, major. And I'm, I hope I can get through this. <clears throat> you know, I, I get to, the great privilege of traveling all over the world and seeing the seeing the body of Christ and their ups and their downs and their ins and their outs. And <clears throat> I've always been really confused on the downs and the outs. And I get to travel the world and I get to see the body of Christ and I get to fellowship with her and be in lots of different places and I see them in their ups and their downs and their ins and their outs. But I'm very confused with their downs and outs because I only see one gospel. <laughs> I only see one gospel when I read this book. I've only seen one gospel when I was here before 2011. I think it was January. There's only one gospel. His name is Jesus. There is no, there's no in between. There's no kind of, sort of, kind of for him, kind of against him. There is no kind of. There is no warm. It's either cold or hot. You're either for or against. You either gather or you scatter. There is no in between. There's no muddy gray area. <clears throat> I'm gonna, I'm, I'm not, I don't have a word of correction, so please forgive me if it sounds like that. I, I don't. I just want us all to finish well, that's all. <clears throat> My goal is to come up underneath the body of Christ in any way I can and to help them finish well, to run the race with the reality of heaven with all of heaven backing you in everything that you do and everything that you say. My goal is to use this little life that God gave me to make the biggest impact and step on the devil's neck in any way I can. I'm, I'm talking every second of every day. I want to give him the worst day that I can in any possible way that I can. Literally. I want to make him wish that he killed me when he had the chance. Every day. Every day. I really do. I get great joy out of watching the enemy suffer. Every second of every day. <laughs> I just don't see another thing in the gospel. It's, we're all called to do the same thing. We are all called to populate heaven through our lives lived in surrender and complete obedience to the gospel 
to the truth of who Jesus calls us to be. We are all called to run as sons and daughters, great word, of an amazing father. And he is so good that we've made him so good but not to be revered. He is so good, but reverence comes from the goodness of God. The fear of the Lord comes because God is that good that I wouldn't want anything else to take me away from his goodness. And anything less than that isn't the gospel. Legalism can't keep you. Surrender keeps you. Jumping in, not just to get your feet wet and touch the water, but to be completely submerged to where if God doesn't show up, you're going to drown in every situation that you're in. At your workplace, to be completely submerged and submitted to Jesus in such a way that if he's a, he doesn't show up, you can't even keep your job. It's called faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that you can't see. Sometimes faith is stuff that we call that we can see that really isn't faith. We are shooting, like read Hebrews chapter 11 and look at where faith is in there. These guys were sawn in two. They wandered around in, in animal skins. They, they were destitute. And the Bible says of whom which the world wasn't even worthy. And it says that they didn't even receive what they were promised that we'd receive. And they were glad because they saw what we have. And if you don't see what you have, you won't even be thankful for what you have. And you'll wish that you had more, not knowing what you have. And your joy will, pe- will keep being deferred because you don't know what you already have. And you're praying for things that you already have. Jesus said, this, your joy will be fulfilled. Anything you ask in my name will be given to you so that your joy may be fulfilled. Sometimes we're praying for stuff that we already have because we don't know who we are. We have all things according to life and godliness. Everything has been given to us, all of it. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. The same one that flowed through Jesus, that the miraculous happened in Jesus' life. You know, there's all kinds of videos out there that one of them particular, and I'm going to nail that thing, that people demonically twist and pervert and make it sound like I'm saying things that I'm not. It says that Todd White says that Jesus Christ wasn't fully God. That is a lie. I don't know how to like handle it any like more than just to tell you point blank. It's a lie. Jesus was fully God. Emmanuel, God with us. This fully God, born of the Virgin Mary, impregnated by the Father. Fully God. It's so it's so crazy. We're like, well, I just saw a video and Todd White said that Jesus isn't. That's because they take my videos, they chop them down, twist them to make them sound like what they want to. And they're going to pay when they stand before the Father unless they repent. It's, it's really true. And I pray that that doesn't happen. I pray that repentance hits their heart. I have protesters almost everywhere that I go. Almost everywhere. They follow me. They love me. They they encourage me because the Bible says for everyone that desires to live godly, you will suffer persecution. If you're not being persecuted, then you have to question where your life is. That should be the gauge of a Christian's life. Am I being persecuted for my faith? 
Well, I don't like persecution. Well, maybe you don't like godly. That doesn't mean that you have to preach at people and down them. That just means that when you preach the original gospel, you get the original persecution. Come on, 2 Timothy 3.12. It is a promise. Promise. All of them that desire to live godly will suffer persecution. It's just a shame that the persecution is they try to twist your doctrine to make you sound demonic. So that the body of Christ will get at war against the body of Christ. It's so weird. So Jesus, fully God, yet fully man. He had to play both. He had to be both. Impregnated by the Father, Mary was. She was a woman. She, look, oh my. Boy, I did not want to go down here, but we're going to... If Jesus did not, if he did not walk as the Son of Man on the earth, the covenant between God and man couldn't be fulfilled. He was fully God, yet fully man. But in order for him to establish the new covenant, the New Testament, the reality of us not having to obey every law in order to be right with God, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. People are like, well, he didn't become sin. Read your Bible. He did become sin. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God that's in Christ Jesus. Jesus became sin so we might become right. So Jesus was tempted at all points yet without sin. James says that it is impossible for God to be tempted. That scripture alone validates that Jesus was tempted as the son of man. I need you to think with me here, because we need to get this straight, because there's all kinds of weird stuff. There are people in here that have saw, even seen the videos that I'm talking about and have questions, so I'm trying to answer them with truth. I'm not trying to validate my stance. I'm right with God. I'm in love with Jesus. I live my life fully obedient and fully in love with Jesus to the best of my ability, and when the Holy Spirit corrects me, I listen. When he convicts me, I listen. Because when you obey conviction, you never enter condemnation. Ever. You just never. Jesus was fully God and fully man. But in order for him to do what he did on this earth to establish the new covenant, he had to humble himself. It's probably scriptural. Philippians 2. He had to humble himself as a bondservant. In other words, he had to come in the likeness of us and to be tempted at all points. Do you know that Jesus was tempted at all points? I have not been tempted at all points. He was tempted at all points for all humanity. Are you guys with me? He's not a baby in a manger anymore, and he's not a broken man on a cross. He didn't stay in the grave he didn't and he's alive do you know that the bible says that there is a man the man seated at the right hand that intercedes for us constantly our high priest that intercedes for us jesus intercedes for us every second of every day not just like it's so weird because people say well he doesn't hear my prayers you're wrong he sees every prayer he hears everything you think
He knows everything that goes across your screen at all times. Like, he's never, ever looking away from you. And he gazes at all of us constantly. And he's in between us and the Father as this mediator. Jesus, Son of God, Son of Man, referred to himself as Son of Man. If we don't understand that, the miraculous is impossible for us. It's so crazy. When I, when I got saved, I was so lost and so hurt and so broken and so gone. But when I got saved, I believed. I didn't just believe enough to get to heaven, and I didn't just believe enough for heaven to get into me. Because we, we need both. You can't afford to believe just to get there. You have to believe enough for him to get here so that you can make a mark here until you get there. Right? But I believe so much that I actually believe that what Jesus did on that tree was enough for me to be completely forgiven, for all of my sin to be washed away, and for him to remember my sin no more. I, I believe that as soon as I got saved. Like, it, it's crazy. Like, that's what the Bible says, but most of the body of Christ doesn't believe that. The cross is all we got. Jesus came. In past days, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is heaven's final answer. So Jesus, fully God, fully man, had to be born here and live as a bondservant, live and be tempted at all points, yet without sin. Jesus did what he did as the son of man, fully God, fully man, but laid his divinity aside so that he could be tempted at all points, go through this world. A temptation is only a temptation when you're tempted by it. So Jesus is tempted at all points, yet without sin. I think this is like, this is just crazy Christianity 101, amazing, awesome. Let's get clear about this and understand. Let the confusion be washed out, wiped out, because the word of God is so clear. It's line upon line, precept upon precept. The whole Old Testament was about what I had to do in order to be right with God. And in order for me to be right with God, God made covenant. He did not want to establish a covenant like was established through Moses. God wanted relationship. And Moses told the children, just walk you through this. You guys okay? Just going to clear gospel stuff. Moses Moses told the children, in three days, we're going to go meet with God on the mountain. The Lord's coming down. Let none of us touch the mountain, lest you be dead. God came, and on that mountain, the trumpet, the thunder, the lightning, the cloud, craziness. Moses was like, this is good. Let's go. The children were like, we can't dare listen to his voice, lest we die. You talk to him, we'll listen to you. God did not want it that way. God wanted relationship with his kids, but man chose not to. Guess what God wanted to do? Moses said, this is good. The fear of the Lord is good. You need this. God wants to put his fear in you so that you don't sin against him. This was always the plan. God wants to put his fear in us so that we don't sin against him. Moses approached God. God he said, God, I want you to, I want to I see your face. 
God's like, you know what? You can't see my face, but you can see my backside. He said, I'm going to let all of my goodness pass before you. God's goodness is the fear of the Lord. God's love, God's mercy, God's compassion, God's overwhelming. He, his love endures forever. He's not angry. God hates sin, period, because sin separates you from him. The problem is, is you can still walk in the miraculous, and you can think that the miraculous is God's stamp of approval on your life, and it's not. Miracles, isn't, miracles aren't God stamping you saying, I validate your life. Miracles are the amen to the gospel. God validates his word. He confirms his word with signs following. It's confirmation of the gospel. It's not confirmation of sonship. This is amazing. Come on. So the children resisted, so God gave Moses the law. Now we have 613 laws and 10 commandments in order for us to be right with God. James 2.10 says that unless you obey every one, you've missed every one. Because God is holy. This is amazing. So me, as a drug addict for 22 years, as an atheist my whole life, that, that broke everything possible that hurts so many people you lied once you are equally as sinful as me so people are like no well I mean the reason why you love so much is because how much you've been forgiven see you're deceived you are you are prohibiting yourself and in, you are stopping yourself from actually loving the reason why is because you don't know how much you've been forgiven Come on, Luke 7, you have a lady that busts into the house with Jesus, and she anoints Jesus' feet with an alabaster jar. We know the story. She busts in past Pharisees. Like, she's not welcome there, and she knows it, but she's got to get to Jesus. She busts in there. She anoints Jesus' feet. She breaks an alabaster jar, which is a year's wages. It's very costly. She goes in there. She anoints Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears, and two people left that day smelling the same. But she anoints Jesus' feet. She has to get to him. And Simon the Pharisee, if this man were really a prophet, who he says he is, he would never let her touch him. Jesus says, Simon, suppose you had two. One owed 500, one owed a little. One owed a mega amount, and one owed a tiny bit. And the master knew that neither could repay. Which one would be loved more? Which one would love more? Which one would be loved more? And he says, why well, suppose the one who owed more? Because see, Simon understands money. So he says, that's right. And this woman's sins, which are many, because she's been forgiven much, she will love much. People told me my whole life in Christ that the reason why I love the way I do is because of how much I've been forgiven. And I struggle with this. I'm like, God, I don't even know what to tell people because they're right. But there's something really wrong with this. <clears throat> he said, Todd, the major dilemma in the body of Christ is that people don't really believe they're forgiven. They keep revisiting things that I, says are that I said is finished. And it's constantly. 
People come up to me and say, man, you were a drug addict for 22 years. The reason why you love so much because of how much you've been forgiven. Like you weren't forgiven the same amount. The truth is, is that all of us have been equally forgiven. Not everybody believes it. It's a dilemma. It's called righteousness. It's called right standing with God. See, Jesus paid a price for your sins and your lawless deeds to be remembered no more. He paid a price as the Son of Man, fully the Son of God, but the Son of Man on that tree. See, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. Like, his very body became sin. God condemned sin in the flesh. Romans 6, let sin no longer have dominion over you. Reckon yourself dead to sin. If we'd understand that on that tree, we were co-crucified with him. We were co-crucified with him. We are co-laborers with him. Like God is faithful. He paid the price. Jesus is the answer. He's the answer. You've got these children in the wilderness that are out there, and they're, they're wandering around, complaining and gossiping and criticizing and all this stuff. They are living this horrible life. And God is sustaining them every day. And manna comes down every day in front of their tent. Every day, the same portion of manna comes down. They can't have enough for tomorrow. They only have enough for today. Because you can't live on yesterday's bread. You have to live on today. Give us this day our daily bread. God has fresh manna for everyone. But the body of Christ doesn't want to feed on bread. They want to feed on TV shows. They want to feed on books. They want to feed on this. You have to feed on Jesus every day in order to sustain your life. You have to. That bread is only good for one day unless it's the day before the Sabbath. Then you have two days, but you can't gather three, and you can't gather extra, because God has enough for you, and he wants to teach the body of Christ that he is enough. See, that manna that came down from heaven, Jesus said, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness. And Moses wasn't the one who really gave you that. My father did. Jesus said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Then he says, I'm the living bread. Then he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. My, my flesh is the real bread. And my blood is the real drink. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. They went crazy. I, I think this is amazing. You've got the Israelites that went into the wilderness. They were completely selfish. It was all about them. Season the bread. Give me some different flavor. Give me cheese bread. Give me something. We loathe the worthless bread. What they were saying is they loathe Jesus. And the body of Christ is in the same place today. They loathe the worthless Jesus. Because he's not enough. We need something else because we've become feeling oriented. And we're waiting for our feelings to feel better instead of faith. And you don't have to wear those shoes. If the shoe fits, kick it off. You don't have to. That rock, I love Bill, he's just sharing about it. I was, I've been in this and soaking in this piece where it seems like it's been marinating in my heart like for, so I've been 14 years, I've been 
amazed at Jesus, just fascinated with Jesus, just beholding the lamb, just fascinated with how good he is. That rock that followed them was Christ, rolled around in the wilderness, following the Israelites everywhere they went, feeding millions water constantly. Can you imagine looking and seeing a rock roll and then stopping when you try to, what, what is going on? There it is. Jesus is that rock. All type and shadow of Jesus. Come on. When all the snakes came out because of immorality, sexual immorality, just horrible stuff, all these vipers came out and killed Israelites. In one day, I think there was 23,000 that went down. And God said to Moses, he said, Moses, I want you to take a snake. I want you to make a bronze serpent. And I want you to tack it up on a tree, on a pole. And anybody that's been bit, because Moses interceded, God, they're dying. Everybody's dying. I need, we need help. We need mercy. We need mercy. God's like, take a bronze serpent. I want you to tack it on a tree. And anybody that is bit by this poisonous vipers that looks up and sees that snake, they'll be healed. Sounds so crazy. Why not take the take cherubim and take the ark and hold the ark up like what is going on no see we don't understand see what was killing us was sin and what was killing the Israelites was poison and he took that bronze serpent and he put it up on a tree see the Hebrews knew that anything that hung on a tree was cursed so when they looked what when they looked on that tree and saw what God cursed, they knew that it couldn't touch them anymore. And if you as the body of Christ, because just as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. But if we don't see the power of the cross and the power of righteousness and the reality of what he's done, we won't understand that when Jesus was hanging on that tree, that very thing that was killing us, sin was cursed by God. This is so powerful. The message isn't changed. It's the same. God says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything will be added to you. He didn't say seek anything else first. He said seek kingdom. Seek righteousness. The kingdom of God isn't meat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So the kingdom is in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness. Why righteousness? Because we are at war against God. Until he comes, and until you see the tree, until you see the cross and what he's done, you cannot have peace with God. If Jesus paid a price to give us peace with God, and the chastisement of our peace was upon Jesus, and we come to God for an emotional response and we say yes to him and walk away and live in anxiety, what did we really give ourselves to? Righteousness. Therefore, Romans 5.1, being justified by faith. Faith in what? Faith in the finished work. Faith that Jesus is enough. Faith in the manna that comes down. Faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, be lifted up. Faith in that very thing that was killing me, sin, was cursed on that tree. See, Jesus didn't die.
because you were such a horrible sinner. The reason why sin was cursed on that tree is because something underneath of that sin was of great value for heaven to pay such a high price to redeem it. The cross just isn't the revelation of our sin. The cross is the revelation of our value. See, when you see what a price heaven paid for you, you will see that you actually have great value to the Father. <laughs> see, God's value system is completely different than how we, how we value. But if you start to change the way you think and think like he thinks and have your mindset above and not on things beneath, that's so scripture, man. If we would think with the very mind that God gave us to think with, but first you have to believe that you're forgiven. That's why it all comes back to the cross. It never gets away from the cross. The cross is where it's at, man. Are you guys, I don't know if, I, I just, guys. The only way that we can live this Christian life is we have to fully believe. We have to fully believe but you fully believe in the simplicity of the cross. So Jesus, fully God, fully man. Do you know, I, I saw, I was asked to come into a, I was at a, I was at a, a base, Christian base, and they asked me to come and watch a movie. They said, you know, it's a Christian movie, we really wanna hear your heart and see what you think about this. It's about to be released. There was a Muslim man, he got saved, and he's a, he's a film producer he really wants to you know do something for Christ and I'm like how long has he been saved and he's like well he you know probably a year and I'm like he's gonna make a Christian movie I'm like oh no I I'm not against it I think it's great that he wants to do something for the kingdom and so they bring me in this theater and I'm sitting in there with about 40 leaders leaders that like we're we're asked like opinions about what we think so I'm sitting there watching this now, Jesus, no miracles were performed in Jesus' life until he got baptized in the River Jordan. None. And we'll hit that in just a minute. So I know that I know that I know that I know what the Word says. And I'm a Word guy, dude. Like, I, I live there. I camp there. I, it's my very bread. It's the only way that I live. I, I couldn't read before I got saved. And then I got saved and God opened my understanding. I never read a book before 34 years of age. And then in Teen Challenge, when I got saved and was in the rehab, I would go in there and get on my knees and say, God, I, I, I can't understand any of this. And I know you saved me. You have to show me. And every day, I'd open it up. It was like Russian roulette. I didn't know where to go. Just Leviticus. Oh. <laughs> Crazy. And when I was up there, I, I saw a scripture in James, because they were talking about trials the day before. And I just, I hated being on trial. I've been in so many court systems, buddy. And they were like, consider it joy. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I hate trials. I had no idea the context. But trials to me were being in front of judges, man. I was always guilty. Always guilty. I mean, every time I went to court, I was guilty, trying to lie my way through. I was guilty. I didn't know the trial he was talking about 
is, is not just that. But see, when you face a trial as a Christian, you're not guilty when you're in there. Oh, no, no, no. See, when you face a trial as a Christian, and you're living as one, really, not just confession, but your whole heart towards him, you're not guilty in that trial. So you can actually have boldness to approach the throne of grace in time of need. Because you're not guilty when you're in there already. Oh, it's just totally awesome. So I'm reading, and it says about trials, and then it goes, he who lacks wisdom, let him ask God. This is in Teen Challenge, beginning of my life. I went, oh my gosh, I'm wisdomless. Oh, that's it. Oh God, I have no wisdom. That's the answer. And I celebrated the fact that I was wisdomless. I really did. And that day, the blinders came off. And I couldn't, I couldn't memorize. I, I didn't know, but there was bread baking in the oven. And it was really amazing because it was changing me from the inside out. And I was like, oh, this is so awesome. People were like, what is it? I don't know. But something is amazing here. It's kind of like when they hung out with Jesus and Jesus would talk. See, Jesus would talk and, and people were like, we don't even get it. But like, let's just walk wherever he's going because it's amazing. But I love this because when the disciples came around him, they were like, Lord, um, help us. I love this. Jesus said to them, it's outside, but to you. It's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. So when you're a disciple and when you're really going after Jesus, it's been given to you to know the mysteries concerning the kingdom of God. And all you have to do is ask the king. Stop going to your pastor to find the answer. Guys, this is not okay to need your pastor to keep you hooked up to Jesus. Your pastor has a hard enough job already. Imagine if all the counseling sessions were annihilated because people actually believed they were forgiven. That will preach. I'm not against counseling, but you need an encounter with a counselor. Imagine if every Christian believed that they were forgiven. Imagine if every Christian believed that their past didn't exist. Imagine if every Christian never allowed yesterday to influence today. Imagine if every Christian actually believed that they were who Jesus said they were. It would be like Christianity. <laughs> it would. I'm not trying to be mean. See, the problem, the, the Bible is a closed book. It's not meant for your brain. It's meant for your heart. You can't get this with your brain. I don't care. You could be a Christian for 30 years. Go to church. Be a, be a, a churchgoer. And I'm not against it. It's amazing. We're supposed to not forsake the assembling together. But it says the assembling together of the saints. So it'd be really hard to assemble together if you don't know that you're a saint. Saints aren't floating above the earth. The Bible says that pastors, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists are for the equipping of the saints for the works of ministry. You can't equip people in heaven for the works of ministry. 
That's just weird. Saint means holy one set apart by the Lord. Holy one set apart by the Lord. You were a sinner, you get saved, now you're a saint in the eyes of the Father. That doesn't mean that you can't sin. That means that your habitual nature to want to sin should be crushed and done away with. But unless you feed on the living bread and believe that you've been forgiven much, you will live in guilt, shame, and condemnation. And I've lived without guilt, shame, and condemnation for 14 years. You can't give it to me and that's not mine. You can't reject me because I'm accepted by him. You can't take away what you never gave me. I don't need your praise or your acceptance. I have been accepted in the beloved. I live as a son in love with his father. Guys, it's the gospel. It's the lens. If the eye is single, your whole body is full of light. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is single, your whole body is full of light. But if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You have capacity to house light. You are, look, Ephesians 5 says that you were darkness, but now you are light. It doesn't say this little light of mine. It says you were darkness. In other words, you were complete and utter darkness. But when Jesus came and you got born again, you have become light. I was lost. I didn't get kind of found. When I got found, I left lostness. And I went into found. When I was completely dark, I didn't go into shady. When I was dark, I didn't go into a little, a little bit, a gray area. Gray is danger, man. Cold or hot. Wow. Guys, cold or hot? Cold or hot? Cold or hot? Warm. Jesus says, warm, I will vomit you. He didn't say spit. He said vomit. That's pretty intense. You're not going to get before Jesus and have excuses when you get there that day. You're not going to tell him, well, maybe if my wife would have, and your wife's not going to be able to answer for you either. My wife's the strong Christian in the family. Oh, it's not going to be you and your wife and, and Jesus. It's going to be you and Jesus. And when you stand before him, you're going to answer for your life. Your wife's not going to be able to vouch for you. So I'm sitting in this theater watching this movie, and it comes out, and in the first scene, Jesus like raises a dead bird. Like he's like seven or eight. I'm like, oh. I'm in the movie theater. I'm like, I, I just, I gotta go. No, I gotta stay. I gotta go. Boy. I just want to stand up and say, shut it all. I don't have any time for this, man. You can make different movies, but if you're going to make it about the gospel, you better be the gospel. So then, he, then a young boy hits his head. Jesus raises the boy from the dead. 
I'm like, oh my gosh. And my buddy, Andy Bird, is sitting beside me. He's a firebrand. He's looking at me, he goes, oh. I go, oh my gosh. So we get to this, and then Jesus is in the, his parents leave him um, in Jerusalem for that scene when Jesus is 11, which is the only account we have when he was a, a boy, when he was talking to the Pharisees. But he actually healed, in this scene, in this movie that's not the gospel, healed the Pharisee blind eyes. I'm like, oh my gosh. This takes away from everything. This stops Christians from being able to walk out the supernatural Christian life. And since people don't know the Bible, they'll take that movie as the gospel and be deceived. Because people are swayed by everything. It's a good movie. No, it's not. It's twisted gospel. Do you know it says if anybody wants to add to this book, it's not a good ending. Or take away. Let him be accursed. Paul said, if anybody preaches a different Jesus, let him be cursed. They're like, yeah, but they have the canon and they took books out. It's sealed, buddy. You have to settle it in your heart. Yeah, but man wrote that book. You better settle something else in your heart too. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God breathed. All breathed by the Father. You better settle that thing. Because if you don't settle that thing, you won't settle Hebrews 4.12, that the word of God is alive, sharp, and active. Because if you don't believe that God wrote it, it can't be alive to you. It'll just be another book. And then you'll float through life. And then you won't feed on the right stuff. You know, a baby is a baby, and, and what, you can give a pacifier to your kid until they get really hungry, and then you've got to give them a bottle. Because if you don't give them a bottle, that crying, that thing doesn't stop. And you can be a Christian for 30 years and suck on a pacifier. We can't afford to be thumb-sucking Christians any longer, buddy. You need to step in and devour the pure milk of the word and go after this thing. So we get to the the end of the movie, and I just can't wait for this to be done, man. I just don't have time for it. (laughs) I'm not being insensitive. I am gospel-oriented. I am... Jesus focused. He paid a high price for me. I'm not going to limit that price. I want to bring him the reward of suffering. I'm not bowing to some God of Baal. It's not going to happen. I would rather be dead than bow to something other than my king. So they're like, okay, does anybody have any comments? I said, I do. (laughs) And he's like, oh boy. But I'm the guy in the movie theater that is pretty vocal. So, like when we go see movies, I'm like, yeah! When Aslan bit the witch's Narnia's face off. I'm in there. There's an older lady sitting beside me. Like, it's packed. My wife remembers. I'm like, yeah! Oh! Ooh! God! Jesus! The lady beside me is, oh! And just in very few minutes, this lady's like, yes! Why? Do you know that when you go through this stuff, when you go through persecution and you handle it well, do you know that you give people a reason to live? 
Do you know that when you don't bow to confrontation and people see you handle fire well, do you understand that you're in covenant? Do you know you're who you're in covenant with? This covenant is amazing. You got Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. You've got these three boys that are faced with this evil king that thinks that he can do whatever he wants and get them to worship whoever they want. And they make a golden statue, a 90-foot golden statue. And they tell these boys in an old covenant, the old covenant, they tell these boys that you will bow and you will worship. And these boys, when all the flute and the harp and the lyre and all these different instruments are played and everybody else bows, these boys ain't bowing. It's amazing. In a king's kingdom that tries to be God, but they know God, they serve God, they serve a God of covenant. These Hebrews, they served a God of covenant, they forgot their covenant because they were weighed down by Pharaoh and Pharaoh had them making bricks in the miry clay, building his kingdom and they forgot whose kingdom. And Moses, Moses is the son of Pharaoh Pharaoh's daughter, the son, and he wakes up and realizes he's a Hebrew, and instead of staying there, he books it. I can't do this. He stands up for a Hebrew, and then the Hebrews are like, are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Moses books it, and for 40 years, he's out there, and God calls him. You're going back. I've seen my people's oppression. I've seen them out there. You're going back. You're going to bring them out. God is a God of covenant. And he doesn't play. He's for real. And Satan is playing with the body of Christ, getting her to toy with her covenant. And it's not okay. God is looking for a breed of Christian that will actually rise up and believe the gospel. And stop bowing to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. See, these boys were faced with a fiery furnace. He gave them a second chance. He said, unless you bow, you're going in the furnace. What is your fire to us, king? God doesn't save us? Oh, well, we will not bow to your statue. That's amazing. So the king turns the furnace up seven times hotter, like the first one wouldn't kill him. Here's, my ama here's the amazing thing for me. You see these boys, they are not bowing to Pharaoh, or they're not bowing to Nebuchadnezzar. Same stuff, different story, same evil. I just love it. They are ready to be thrown in the furnace, and the king's men get killed. If the king's men got killed, how did these boys get in the furnace? I believe they jumped in willingly. <laughs> did you ever think, if all these guys died, how'd they get in? I believe they jumped right in. Oh, see, what kind of God do you serve? How strong is your covenant? Jesus, 
lived in this world and was tempted at all points, just like you and I. In order for God to have his covenant fulfilled, somebody had to die. The New Testament is like the last will and testament. It's like the inheritance that you've been given. So when you read the New Testament, you're reading the inheritance that was left to you. Someone paid a dear price. Not to give you a better day, but to give you a life that never existed before. Not just a little life, an abundant life that's violently excessive to where you actually are supposed to reign as a king in this life through the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. Righteousness, right standing with God. In order to do this in the Old Testament, you have to obey 613 laws and 10 commandments. So Jesus walks out every law and every commandment without missing any. And he does it all. And on that tree, when he's hanging on the tree, this is three and a half years after the miraculous started in his life. He comes to the River Jordan and he says to John the Baptist, this is before all the miraculous started, just like that movie said. See, I stood up and I told them, I said, you're taken away from the divinity of Jesus. You're taking away from the reality of him being baptized in the River Jordan. You're taking away of the covenant being fulfilled. You are saying that Jesus did miraculous from a baby, and the Bible is very clear that no miracles happened till the wedding of Cana, till after Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan. He went out into the wilderness, was tempted for 40 days. See, Jesus was fully God and fully man. But when, when he was in the River Jordan, fully man was filled with fully God. You have to see this because we cannot walk out the miraculous. You can't do any of this unless you see this. When Jesus went out into the wilderness, when he came up out of the water, God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness. He's out there. Now, Jesus' first temptation, the devil comes and he says, if you are, see, the devil wants to get him to question his identity. The devil is still trying to get the body of Christ to question her identity. Constantly, he's always after identity. He wants to get you to do something to prove who you are. Now, I'm not against the miraculous. I think it's amazing. But that's not proving who I am. The disciples healed the sick and weren't even saved. These disciples weren't born again until after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. They were out there doing miracles, but were not saved yet. They were orphans with power that had to one-up each other to feel better about each other. They wanted to blow up cities. They resisted you, Lord. Let us call down fire and kill them. James and John, sons of thunder, it's over. Come on, give us the word. Elijah did it, we could kill them all now. Jesus says, guys, you don't know what spirit you're of. Jesus knew that this was going to be an issue. Yet he picked Judas. He knew it. He knew Judas was going to sell him out. He still said, follow me. He knew Peter was going to deny him. Yet he said, follow me. Because God is merciful and full of love. See, 
People are like, you know, God will take you just the way you are. He will, but he demands change. Demands change. He knew that they were going to be really messed up. Really messed up. He knew already. It's not like when Peter, James, and John fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was like, no way, are you kidding? You hurt me. Jesus knew it. He says, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Of course, they weren't saved. And we have used that scripture in the body of Christ after we're born again. My my spirit is willing, my flesh is weak. We've amplified the weakness of flesh instead of the strength in the spirit. Because we failed to realize that God says that you're flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. And one spirit with him. That scripture was used to disciples that weren't saved yet. Jesus was pointing out their need. People are like, well, I can relate to Peter. Well, which one? The one before he got saved or after? Because if you're relating to the Peter that's not saved, you need born again. Or you need to feed on living bread. So that you can actually actually think like Jesus created you to think. Not with the mind of man, which is demonic. Come on. Jesus, who do men say that I am? Well, some say John the Baptist, Elijah, uh, some, some, people are saying a lot of things, Lord. Yeah, but who do you guys say I am? Well, you're the, you're the Christ. Wow, Simon, you didn't get that on your own. No. I've seen what you come up with on your own. Flesh and blood didn't even tell you that. Nope. Father told you that. Upon this, I'm going to build my church on this. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I tell you this, that in that day, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you be bound on earth, will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, be loose in heaven. Upon this rock, what's the rock? The revelation of Christ. I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Just a couple of scriptures later, the gates of hell intervene. Peter says, Jesus says, I'm going to die. Going to be delivered up. Peter says, no, this shall never happen to you. What was that? The way that seems right to a man, which is the gate of hell interfering. Because the way that seems right to a man and the unrenewed mind that's at war and at enmity against God that is not at peace with God, always try to reason and figure out why not. Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. Your mind is full of the things of man and not the things of God. You are thinking demonically. So every time we say, hey, back off, I'm only human. You're saying, chill out, I'm only demonic. What you're doing is choosing to live the way that seems right to a man instead of the way that is right to God. We just, we just entertain the carnal nature, something that's supposed to be co crucified with Christ because we want our cake and we want to eat it too when really cake doesn't taste good when you taste it and see how good he is it changes everything Jesus baptized River Jordan 
my son in whom I'm well pleased, out in the wilderness. Devil says, if you are the son of God, change these stones into bread. Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. What did he say? I don't have to do this. God just told me I'm a son before I came out here. Listen, what does that mean to us? Jesus, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus comes to John and says, I need you to baptize me so that righteousness might be fulfilled. Righteousness gets fulfilled. God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. What does that mean for us? Jesus walks out the whole law, all the commandments, never sins, 30 years old, comes to the River Jordan to get baptized. At 30, you inherit everything in Jewish culture that your father has. So Jesus gets baptized in the River Jordan. God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Everything that the father has now belongs to the son. Jesus goes out, is tempted. The devil, three temptations we, we know of. He was tempted for 40 days. The three that are pointed out here. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. It's crazy. He comes back out in the Holy Ghost in power. And goes about and he does good and heals all that are oppressed of the devil. How? Jesus, fully man, filled with fully God. God incarnate on the earth. All the miracles, all the healings, everything Jesus did as a man filled with God. But he was fully God and fully man. But he modeled Christianity for us. What else did he model besides the miraculous? This is so, this is such a scary thing to the body of Christ. Jesus modeled what it would be like to live a life in complete obedience, fully possessed to the, to the Father. So what kind of model does that give us? How willing are you, are you, at being fully possessed and living in full obedience to the Father? How close do you want to be? How much do you want to draw near to God? Because if you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. How, how clean does the blood of Jesus make you? Does it cover some sin or all? Now, because it covers all sin, a lot of people in the church are like, wait a minute. Because this, this crazy, weird thing of hyper-grace says that because God forgave me, he'll keep forgiving me, and that God's okay with it. God's not okay with sin. Jesus paid a price to do away with it. It's called a life in obedience and a life with conviction. You guys okay? Okay, I just, I'm in teach mode, so just bear with me here. I just, gosh. The gospel to me is so clear I, I, it's not muddy. It's not, it's not weird. I, I live with mystery on a constant basis. But I press in into my secret place so that I can know my Father. And He can teach me and train my heart. Because I am at a pulpit. No matter what pulpit I'm at, it's very important to me. Because to you whom much is given, much is required. Let, says, let, not, let not many people become teachers. Because teachers will be judged way more strictly. When I stand before God. I'm going to answer for every word. 
ever. If I'm up giving a word just to impress people, I'm going to answer for that. So I have to preach to the best of my ability with full conviction in my heart the clearest gospel that I know so that I can see the body of Christ be clear and free. If I preach, gosh, if I preach a message to try to counter something, I'm not preaching a clear gospel. If I preach a message to try to point out something, then what I'm doing is I'm using a pulpit to sin. It's a very important, it's so important, I can't, I'm trying to, my life is pretty intense, man. I don't want to just come up here and give another message to impress people. I'm not here to wow people or, or wow, oh my gosh, it's Todd White. No, I want us all to know just how important each individual is to the Father. But there's a weight that's on this gospel. There's a weight. All of heaven, the great cloud of witnesses, and all these men and women that have gone before were burned at the stake, were impaled, had their heads cut off. They are standing in the great cloud, cheering us on, wanting us to believe the clear gospel. And I am convicted. I am, I am so convicted in my heart. I just want this life to make a difference. I want this life to matter. I want people to stand boldly before the throne of grace and be able to approach the Father every day. I want people to stop thinking about things that God's not thinking about. I want people to know just how clean the blood of Jesus can make them. I want people to run and prophesy. I want people to walk in the miraculous. But I want people to know just how good God is. I want the fear of the Lord to take over the body of Christ. I want the fear of God to hit the body of Christ in such a way to where we tremble at the thought of willful sin. I want us to be so convicted that we couldn't even think about going this way or this way because the gospel is so clear. I want us to know how good God is. I do. But we can't afford to go into this place where God is so good and God is so loving that everything else gets lost. Because God is good and God is loving, but God is not an advocate of grace that empowers sin to happen. He's not. God wants us to be holy as He is holy. God wants us to know Him. You can't tell me that you know Him and hate your neighbor. You cannot tell me that you know God and have ought and hate against your neighbor because you're a liar. Because the Bible says that if you say you love God but hate your neighbor, you're a liar. That's the Bible. Those strong words. No, that's Jesus, buddy. How can you love God who you can't see if you can't love your neighbor who you can see? Actually says you're a murderer. That's intense. God wants us to know him. He wants us to know him. 
He wants us to know him. He's a faithful father. He's a loving father. And he wants us to know just how good he is.